The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of the Reconstructionist Radio Network. My name is Russell Trawick and I am pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Sweeney, Texas. And today, in this episode, we'll be talking about how to prove we are the church of the living God. This episode is an excerpt from a sermon series I did in 2016 called The Optimistic View of the Kingdom. In light of much of the recent struggle between brothers and sisters in Christ, I wanted to bring this message because uh, in Christian living, as we discuss and debate theology as a whole, along with specific doctrines and their origins, there comes an occasion of disagreement. At times, very stark differing opinions emerge, and sometimes we answer from pure intellect, and sometimes we are guided by purely emotions. Both our intellect and emotions, because we are imperfect, fallible men, can be affected by our sinful flesh. Often, because of these debates, we can lose focus of the mission and ministry that God has placed before us. What I would like to discuss today might be considered by some milkish in nature. But I think as often as we are reminded both in the Old and New Testaments that we need to remember the exhortations of Scripture. As we look into this today, our theme, our theme passage is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me start with verses 7-11, through 11, which reads, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace... Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First, when we live purposeful lives, we prove we are the church of the living God. 1 Peter 4, 7, which I just read, read says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We must live purposed lives that are clearly focused on the very kingdom purpose of God. John 15, 7-11 says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so proved to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We do this by bearing fruit of God's word and applying God's law word to all of life. We live purposeful lives by bearing the fruit of God's word into our lives, by obeying his commandments and applying God's word to all of life. Second, we prove we we are the church of the living God when we love each other earnestly. In verse 8 of the theme passage, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. How we love our brothers and sisters in Christ is essential to the Christian life. John 13, 34-35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yet love for our brethren is not a permissive or perverted enabling love towards sin. It is at times conflictive when our brethren are walking in sin, flirting with a devastating doctrine, hindering or limiting the gospel in a way that scripture does not purport, and other areas that require correction. As the theme passage says, love covers a multitude of sins. This means we lovingly bear with the failings of our brethren, but it does not mean we ignore them. Thirdly, we prove we are the church of the living God when we open our lives to one another. Now guys, I'm not getting soft on you, but we need to be keep remembering what we are exhorted in, as this church to do. Verse 9 of the theme passage says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What does that mean? Well, opening our lives to one another means more than welcoming one another into our homes for food and good company. But as Romans 12, 9-13 tells us, that we are to let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. We do so by welcoming one another into each other's lives. We do so by opening our homes and our hearts to one another. We desire the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We long to serve the Lord by serving others. This includes our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in need, not only praying for them, but this requires action on our part as well. However, Prayer is essential. For James five thirteen through 16 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Whether we are in times of rejoicing or mourning, in times of feast or in famine, we are to share our struggles with our brethren and we are to share in our brethren's struggles. This is not the totality of our Christian responsibility, but it is a part of it. It does not require being a member of a local gathering of a church, but it does require the gathering of the church local and universal being involved in the lives of each other, whether face-to-face or on a phone call or other social media outlet. Fourthly, we prove we are the church of the living God when we use our giftedness to serve one another. 1 Peter 4, 10-11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. It goes on to say, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This further reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, which I will share in its entirety, and it, as it reads, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you are pagans, you are led astray to mute, mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, 
but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less part of a body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Notice it didn't say there are many bodies, yet one part. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need you, need no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our, 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 and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. The gifts among the saints, we need to hear this, are for the purpose of serving other saints. It must be understood that this scripture does not apply to the church church. Local. It does not just apply to the church local, but to the church universal. God, by the Holy Spirit, has gifted people to serve one another in various ways, times, and places. Some gifts are much more easily applied in the church local, including giving financially. But it was also common to see the church local giving toward a need in the church universal or abroad. See, each believer is gifted by God. Some have a variety of gifts, but that does not make them superior or independent of other believers. Some have more specific giftedness, but the manifestation of their giftedness it is necessary for the function of the whole body. Every part is valuable. Fifthly, we prove we are the church of the living God when life as we know it hits the fan. Now, I'm not just trying to make a less colorful play on words, but we need to be real and honest before this world. It goes on in 1 Peter 4, 12-19 to say, 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if one of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins if it begins at, with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness if, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's break this down in more bite sized pieces. One, when life hits the fan, we ought not be surprised. That's what verse 12 says. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When troubles come and the world is watching you, what they need to see and know is what Matthew 5, 44-45 says. It says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who are in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. The world needs to see that the same thing happens to both believer and unbeliever. What they need to see is that God is no respecter of persons and shows, shows no partiality to anyone, as Acts 10.34 says. Both the Christian and the non-Christian alike go through troubles and hardship. The difference that the non-believers should see is our response to such hardships. We should not act surprised in the midst of persecution or hardship, or any other thing. Two, when life hits the fan, we should rejoice in our suffering. Verses 13 through 14 says that we are to rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. We must rejoice, for the Lord is our victory already, not only in the midst of our troubles. Romans 5, 1-5 also exhorts us, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained by faith into this, into this grace in which we stand, and when, when we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rejoicing shows both a temporal understanding but reveals a worldview of eternal victory as well. Most people live for the temporal and have the temporary in mind. As Christians, we must lead from an eternal perspective. The world around us must see that we have our eyes set on something greater. In many ways, our lives are but stepping stones toward a greater purpose only found in Christ Jesus. 3. When life hits the fan, we might suffer, but we don't suffer because we have done evil. 1 Peter 4.15 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. In fact, this passage is prefaced in 1 Peter 3.13-16, which reads, uh, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, with gentleness, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In all things we are to honor Christ, therefore having no fear of being punished for doing good, if we are to do if we are going to suffer, brothers and sisters, let us do so because of righteousness and the righteous works that we do, not because of evil deeds or malicious talk or the sorts. For when life hits the fan, we must not be ashamed of suffering for the gospel. First Peter four, sixteen through nineteen says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The gospel is central to the purpose of the Christian life in making disciples and furthering the building of Christ's kingdom. Hence Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. It is through the preaching of the gospel that men are saved. Paul goes on in Romans 15, verses 18 through 21, saying, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build upon someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. I find it interesting that Paul's deepest desire after persecuting the church and then being saved by Christ is to preach the gospel and much more to preach the gospel where it has never been heard and not to build on the foundation he has laid in Christ Jesus or a foundation someone else has laid, but where Christ's name has never been uttered. Paul knows that wherever the gospel has been preached, it is transformational and that those who have been transformed will continue to preach the powerful gospel that they have heard and received. It is not the miracles that are central to the faith or fulfilling a social need, but it is the power behind the gospel. In fact, we are not to be led by how many people we can get to walk down an aisle at church or how many baptisms we perform in a year. In 1 Corinthians 1, 17-18, Paul says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to, to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Furthermore, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The gospel we preach is under the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit. We are not to convict and manipulate people into the kingdom of God. It is not only because we can't manipulate anyone into Christ's kingdom, but it is up to the Holy Spirit alone to convict and to save. 
Our responsibility is, is to the proclamation of the gospel. We must not be ashamed or fearful that this is our calling in Christ Jesus. Second, Second Timothy one seven through twelve says, "For God gave us not a, a uh, gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed, and I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Don't be ashamed when life hits the van. Five, when life hits the fan, we must not fear man, but God alone. Matthew 10, 26-28 tells us, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, what I tell you in the dark, Say in the light, and whatever you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And don't fear those who can kill the body, but can, cannot kill who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Why do we fear God and not man? It's because Romans fourteen twelve says each of us will give an account of himself to God. Yet for so many, we care more about what others think about the ministry God has given us. Giving us giving an account to God means He is our divine judge. Verses sixteen to nineteen says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not, do not obey the gospel? See, it's time for judgment to begin with those who, pre- who claim to be the people of God. Why judgment? Could it be that the judgment is necessary to separate out the sheep and the goats amongst our local congregations? Could it be to determine who the real followers of Christ are? See, when persecution and hardship and suffering are introduced, what will happen to the so-called church? In verses uh, 34-39 of Matthew 10, it says, Don't think I have come to bring peace, Jesus says, to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I believe if we are to be judged and persecuted by man for our faith in Christ, there will be plenty representations of Judas that will sell out the Christian brethren for a meal or a little provision that will give them temporary survival. There will be those who jump on the celebrity bandwagons and follow suit as well on social media, which happens often. Yet we ought not be surprised, for we are exhorted in Matthew 10, 16-23, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and having them put to death. And you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but... 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I remember when I originally preached this message to my congregation. These next few words, which are almost prophetic, I said, I believe that even in this room, there could be those who could do such a thing. If not in this room, there are family members that would sell you and us out. The question you must ask yourself is, who do you fear the most, God or man? And yet there are those who did, that did just a short time later abandon us because of chasing after their own wants, desires, and pleasures instead of furthering the gospel of Christ. We cannot give up. For even in the midst of persecution and hardship and suffering, and even if our lives were required of us for our faith, the gospel goes forward, the gospel goes out, and the gospel transforms. My encouragement to you is that the last verse of this theme passage in verse 19. It says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Brothers and sisters, let us continue to debate doctrine and so forth, but let us not lose sight of the greater good. Don't get distracted to the point we, that we lose sight of our primary call. I remember a debate that I was on in on in a Facebook thread over immigration. In the middle of the interaction, a guy asked me, Do you know Bojodar Marinov? Are you one of his disciples? <laughs> and I answered him, Yes, I know Bell well. Yet, I am a disciple of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Have you considered that the reason why you cannot win this debate with me is not because I am a disciple of Bojodar and because you cannot win the debate with him? but that we are both disciples of Christ and you cannot win a debate with the Lord. I went on to say something like this. The Lord is about setting the captive free both spiritually and physically because so many Christians are disobedient to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of the nations. God is bringing the nations to us. And what is the response of mainstream evangelicalism? But let's keep them out. Let us build a wall and then continue to say we need to reach the nations, raising money for useless missions organizations while staying home, sitting in our pews in willful disobedience. The issue is not about borders. It's about your view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we must be willing to debate the issues, but let us never lose focus on the ultimate call of Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ, let us love one another. Let's love God with all that we are and serve Him as well. Until next time, God bless you and yours. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.